I think a tricky tourist monkey is better though, because Jeff, like you know, he... no, <laughs> Jeff's not a tricky. That's what he monkey. wants to be. I <laughs> no. feel like that's you know. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast, the weekly podcast dedicated to conversations on faith and culture. We are your hosts. I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. And I'm Alan. Thank you for joining us this week. This week, we're going to be answering the question, how do you have a meaningful response to environmental issues? And in our segment, we're going to be doing a Noah and Jamonin segment, and we're going to be answering the question, what is your animal? Or what animal would you be if you were an animal? An animal. <laughs> we are animals, Jeff. Right. We'll be, we're not talking for ourselves. We're deciding for each other, which is what animal be we would be. I hope. Oh, yes. Yeah. That, that sounds a little be bit scary, but it I'm does. Down. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, if you pick sloth, I'm going to be offended and hang up <laughs> <laughs> because it'd be too real. All right. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So this week we're going to be talking about uh, uh, meaningful responses to environmental issues, which we know, which is, again, our habit. This is a huge issue, and there's a lot of elements. So we figured a, a grounding question would help us kind of bring out the elements that are most important to us, and then we can kind of hash that out over the next several years as we talk to you every week on a Tuesday morning as you drive in your car and listen. And maybe you won't have a car in five years because we changed the world with our Self-driving cars, I hope they're coming. Oh, my God. Although, I thought... I thought about the side issue. If self-driving cars might destroy the meaning of podcasting. Like people listen to a podcast because they're driving a car and they all only can listen. But if you can watch a movie or choose a podcast, like. No, people, people do like it. do it, you know, while they go on runs or true. when they're at work doing boring stuff. <laughs> <laughs> However you Very listen, true. we welcome you. And email link to our show to everyone in your office. Yeah. Actually, I, I'm curious. <laughs> I wish people would write in and tell us like how and when and where they listen. I, I've heard yes. some people, some people have told me um, that they listen in the car quite a few mm. on their commute to work. Yep. So our, our kind of guiding question this week is, is how do we have a meaningful response to environmental issues, especially when a lot of the rhetoric and maybe rhetoric is too strong of a word because there's a lot of truth in it, but a lot of the environmental issues that we face today seem hopeless like they seem so big that it's easy to not even take the time to think about it yeah it's easy to be like well it doesn't matter what i do or don't do because these things are so big and like to some degree that's kind of true and that's why it feels bleak i think to a lot of us it, i understand i think it's great to like sacrifice personally but if you're putting your relationships in 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 peril that's sure that can be a, that's a different conversation i think yeah. so so maybe that's where we begin is if something is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Um, I forgot who said that. G.K. Chesterton, probably. the The usual uh, uh, adage, a dodge adage, is that um, <laughs> that's a weird word. Is that if if something is worth doing, it's worth doing really well, right? And we get in this mind some mindset that uh, we have to be completely perfect. But I, I'm in, yeah, I, I'm embracing the idea along with Chesterton that. Well, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing at least a little bit of it. So if I can't be perfect, uh, if my relationships require me to turn my AC on, I'm going to do that, right? But if I can set the AC a few degrees down during the summer and save a little bit of the environment a tiny bit at a time, it's worth doing at least some of it. So that's my yeah, small I, I think that's a good place to start. So when we're we're asking the question how to have a meaningful response. I think the first thing you need to do is make sure that the issue is meaningful because I think for some people, 
and I'll speak for myself, coming out of, as we've talked about at length on this show, coming from a conservative evangelical background, the environment was not an issue. In fact, it was only an issue to, in many ways, revolt against. Like, it's not important for a lot of different reasons, which we kind of talked about in our last episode about the end of the world and our theology and stuff like that. So because people thought the world was ending soon, they actually preached against conservation efforts. Exactly. So... But I believe, or I have come to believe, because I would say there was a point in my life where I was I was on board with that. You know, do whatever you want. It has b- become a place where doing what you can in a meaningful way, whatever that looks like, is a spiritual response. And uh, hmm. and I think we're seeing this a little bit in Christianity Return. Like I think um, the Pope, uh, what was it? I think a few months ago came out with kind of his manifesto of like the environment for the Catholic Church, which was pretty groundbreaking for the the Catholic Church and there was a quote in it. It's called the the Lightioc and we'll put a link in the um the Lightioc. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. Uh but we'll put a link in the thing. But for me this quote really stood out and really has been something that in the last few months has really come back and affected me a lot where he talks about the the ecological crisis is also a summons to profound in a too profound interior conversation. It must be said that some committed and prayerful Christians with the excuse of realism and pragmatism tend to ridicule expressions of concern for the environment. Others are passive. They choose not to change their habits and thus become inconsistent. So what they have is, is an ecological conversation whereby the effects of their encounter with Jesus becomes evident in their relationship with the world around them. Living our vocation to be protectors of God's handiwork is essential is essential to a life of virtue. It is not an option or a secondary aspect of our Christian experience. And I love that. I feel like that capsulates how I've come to believe about this issue. And because meaning was finally attached to it for me, it caused me to stop and rethink things that I took for granted on a regular basis. I I can vividly remember in college, we were required to go to, to chapel three times a week. And during one of the chapels, the president, who's a really renowned Christian author and commentary writer on the Bible preached a sermon where he said, step on the grass. That was his kind of unifying theme where the idea was there are some people that tell you we need to preserve nature and we need to protect it and let wild animals live and let some things be wild. And his idea was that if you look at Genesis, the Bible is written telling humans that the world is theirs to enjoy and they just need to enjoy it. And that's probably where I was at one point as well, Jeff, along with you, is that the environment was actually – the environmental movement was a negative thing. It hurt people. It hurt business. It hurt free market, all sorts of stuff. Um, but, but when I started – enjoying the earth and preserving the earth the same thing? <laughs> I know. So <laughs> Isn't that, that's that at true. the heart that's of true. environmentalism? Yeah, right. Uh, well, Teddy Roosevelt was the father of um, the wildlife refuge system in the United States, and his point was – Wild animals and wildlife are not just this generation's to enjoy. That was in 1902, I think. It's also for future generations, right? We have to preserve stuff because it is ours to enjoy, but that's that needs to be preserved for the future for future generations. And I, I completely agree. That aside, I, I started looking at Genesis. Instead of looking at the world as something that was given to us, I really do read Genesis, at least one of the accounts in the Old Testament, to say that, like, human beings are seen as caretakers. I think that's the word that the Pope used in the thing Jeff just read that we were actually given to the planet and human beings were supposed to bring more order and more good. And they were supposed to tend the garden that God had created. And so in my mind, I I don't believe Genesis one through three 
are literal accounts of history. There's a lot of good reasons theologically and scientifically to believe, to not believe that and past episodes on evolution. You can look those up, talk about those things, but I really do see Genesis as being prophetic. I mean, God, God tells human beings that you are to have dominion over the earth. You're supposed to take charge and take your role as an image bearer of God. Someone who loves all of creation. That's in like Psalms. It talks about God's love for creation reaches the heavens that God cares about animals and feeds the animals, the wild animals and everything in the field. So this God that loves the creation that God went through all the painstaking process to actually make like human beings are given as people who have the responsibility. And I don't think this is controversial at all. The responsibility of, being like God for the planet, sustaining life, creating diver- creating and maintaining diversity, like supplying the world with what it needs to be the sort of place that God had created. Whether And so for us, that's not historical in my mind. We weren't put in the garden, right? That's, that's myth. But it's prophetic in the sense that we have evolved to the point where animals will survive in the, into the future, species, on m- most often on whether they appeal to us or not. So if there's a type of dog that doesn't appeal to us, a breed or whatever, that will die out. But the one that we like and think is cute or endears itself to us will live. And that applies to kind of the whole animal kingdom. We're now at the point where we do have to take charge because we have such a huge impact on this world. And if we don't take that seriously, whether you're a Christian or not, if you don't take that responsibility seriously, we could do a lot of damage. And so I think beginning with faith is a good thing. Maybe. Um, I, th- I think it's important to parse out two different levels of um, like ethical reasoning that are happening here. Um, there's what you guys are talking about is like a, a transcendent type of meaning. Like we should care for the earth because it's good. And it just is. Whether you believe God called it good or it just it is good intrinsically, it should be separated from what we feel like is pretty or worth saving versus we should we should do it for the sake of its own self. Um, and But there's another level of ecological argumentation that I hear a lot that is very egocentric or anthropocentric, like people-centric. It's, it's centered around, we need to save the environment because it's good for people. And that's not a bad line of thinking too, but I think it's important to kind of parse those out. Um, because what you guys are saying, the transcendent, like we should preserve this thing for its own good, does circle back and benefit humans, but it doesn't make humans the most important thing in all of creation because that's a I think that's a faulty way to look at the world as humans being the dominant and most important and only thing that matters like we should only preserve the environment so so that humans can be sustained versus saying that all of life deserves to live you know absolutely and I I would say human being a human life there's some people put this to me whenever I talk about ecology you have the old conversation of does there's this woman who said to the news at one point that standing in, standing in the middle of the road was her dog and her son. And if she came up to them in her car at 70 miles per hour, she's not sure which way she would swerve because their lives kind of matter the same to her. And for me, like I, I personally, and I do believe my faith tells me that human life is like valuable, even more valuable than an animal life. But like, those value judgments don't necessarily mean animal life isn't valuable. Does that make sense? Like, I, I don't know. That's, that's what this conversation degrades to all the time is. That's a yeah, hard e- one. E- everything I mean, you said is people, fine. Yeah. yeah. Everything you said is fine, Mona. Right. Um, humans are not the sole point of creation. And I completely agree. 
that is that that's not the way it's supposed to be. But how do you protect the sense that human life is important and perhaps more important? And Jesus even said, you know, God knows all the sparrows and ta- and and is mindful of every single one that exists. But your life matters even more than a sparrow to God. Like you're you are cared for. God took the <laughs> God has communicated God's self to us, at least in Christianity, in such a way that you are important. And so there there is an element of that that needs to be balanced with it. The human good is a is a very big topic that has to be balanced in tension with ecological stuff. But, but your point still stands that, that, um, that we're not the end of, even for Christians, we are not the point of creation. We're not, we're not this pinnacle of, of meaning. I think in Western society, we can speak to a lot of structures like governmental structures, legal structures, um, social structures that have all pointed to preserving the human life over and above everything. Like you, for example, if, if someone hit a, a child over a dog, they would get a lot more time in jail for doing that. You know what I mean? Like our, our social structures support the fact overwhelmingly that human life is preferential and animals don't matter at all. So I think it's could be a corrective measure to err on the other side a little bit. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, like, and that's for thousands of years. That's not just recent. You're talking about like Western civilization right. as a whole has really right. seen humans in a different category than, than everything else. And because we're in this different logical category – we have the right to treat everything else horribly. Yeah, and, and I, there definitely needs right. to be corrective measures against that. And what I'm saying, let's entertain the idea that we that all life matters pretty much equally, and to and to value animal life is really ultimately to circle back around and value human life. Also, it's it doesn't have to be one or the other. I think I think it's hard because it's an interconnected thing. Like mm. our life, life in general, if we're going to just use it as a as a thing in of itself, requires. A give and take. And I think that in that situation that you're talking about, Alan, that hypothetical where you can hit the dog and whatever, you're not only dealing with the regular consequences of that, but as a human being, and I would, again, I'm making this assumption, I would be a lot less tormented for the rest of my life if I ran over the dog instead of the child. You know what I mean? Like it would, it would be no question to me. There's a survival instinct in all that. I don't know all the, the science behind how much of our yeah, to preserve person. your own species. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 that's re- relevant. In, and I think that the problem is, is when we, I think the problem is setting up that scenario in the first place. Like, which one are you going to hit as this thesis on, well, now you've been exposed for what's more important to you, as opposed to just recognizing life in general is interconnected and sometimes death happens and our overall our overall focus should be on life as a whole. Not that we can always make the right decision, but I think we can always be at least in the right frame of mind or spirit or whatever we want to call it. Be- before we it go is, any yeah. further in in the ecological conversation, it also another qualifying thing needs to be said is that death doesn't just sometimes happen. Death always happens to every single living thing on this planet, and like and in an integral part yeah, of the survival it, it, of things exactly. is for things and to so die. you live because other things have died. Like that, there's no way to extricate ourselves from death. I mean, plants eat animals, animals eat plants. That's just the way that it works. And that's the continual cycle of life. The question is, how do you be a part of that system where there is some necessary death, right? To fertilize the tree that gave you the fruit or whatever. You can't escape that, but how do you do it well? And at least Mm. conscionable, conscionable. Is that maybe maybe one of the most meaningful responses we can have to the environmental issues is not ask questions or propose scenarios that divide people, <laughs> but instead, you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. in, 
it seems like all of our hypotheticals are either or. So not like, not not a resort to an emotional plea is what you're saying. Actually, think through things and yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. like you, well, you believe in guns, so would you shoot Hitler? You know, I mean stuff like so that. So we're beginning <laughs> the conversation with we can't fix everything, we can't extricate ourselves from the process of death and living off of death. It, it just happens, but there has to be some concrete things we as individuals and as the coasts of Iranic ass can do. But I want to build, wait, before we go there though, I want to build on what you just said. We can't extricate ourselves from the process of death because I think it's, I think as, as humans and like the, the history of civilization is like, especially in more modern times after industrialization, we're constantly trying to escape from nature. We're trying to escape our creatureliness. You know, we build like walls and, and shelters and most, a lot of us don't even know how fruit grows. Like, how does a pomegranate grow? I don't know. Is it on the ground? Is it on a tree? I have no idea. Actually, I do know. It's a tree. Pomegranates grow on trees. But we, we, a lot of us who live in modern society, we have absolutely no idea what it means to actually be connected to nature. Really. <laughs> I, I read I read this. I don't know if this is true, but I read that in the 90s, there was a powder out, power outage in LA, and they got uh, 911 calls from all these people saying there was weird clouds in the sky. But it was just the Milky Way over LA that they had never that seen. That was a meme. I don't know if that was it real. It has to be true. <laughs> I, 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 had, I had students in my youth group that have never seen where any of their food comes from they've never seen food growing on right. a plant or even a shooting star or anything like that like that's disconnection from nature is really really true i think i, I think there's truth in that meme agreed but i don't know if it's like <laughs> we, actually true you know what i'm saying but we want nature to be at our disposal instead of us being at the disposal of nature because that scares us that feels chaotic right so if like if we have a tree on our street it's because someone put it there for our pleasure <laughs> it's not yeah. because it does really anything you know it, well, it might put out a little bit of oxygen or like if we have a pool in our backyard it's not a natural lake it's something that's been cultivated for for us you know and i'm taking some of these ideas from a really great book called songbirds truffles and wolves about an environmentalist who um hikes the franciscan trail in italy and he talks about how a lot of people hike that trail as a very spiritual like enriching experience but all he sees as someone who studies like biodiversity and things like that is just the scars on the landscape of all of the stuff that's been wiped out and all the foliage and the plants and the animals that are not there that should be there and how like um foods like tomatoes are not natural to italy but they've taken over the cuisine and and so it's not really i mean it is eating local now but it it wasn't historically and and so it's interesting to hear somebody talk about these kinds of things like what is our relationship to nature like so biodiversity for example like what you're saying jeff and what you're saying also alan about like death and interconnection like when species die out completely um it does have a ripple effect throughout all of ecology right like all yeah. all ecosystems are are like o- over time like impacted by that which means we are also impacted by that because guess what we are also part of ecosystems that's my whole point like we are part of it we can't escape from it no matter how much technology we have um, no matter how much we can cultivate our environments we're still creatures we're still part of ecosystems we still have to have a relationship to it so it's not always an either or as far as cultivation goes because you can cultivate in such a way there's a lot of like Taoist principles, even over thousands of years, people in other countries with different sorts of religion that didn't divorce humanity from nature, but uh, upheld that connection, you can cultivate responsibly. It's possible, but we just haven't done it in our Western civilization almost at all. Well, going back to that uh, that analogy that we did with the dog and the, the kid, there's a difference between choosing to hit the dog and uh, and just driving down looking for dogs to hit. You know what I mean? Like there's there's that line in between and when we're talking about some species die out, but s- some species die out not because we did anything, they just 
died out. Like I read an article recently about panda bears, how they're trying to, you know, breed them and get them to kind of, but they're just not into it. <laughs> like almost that the species itself is just kind of, eh, whatever. You know, I know people we... who hate pandas because they think they're they're worthless and stupid. <laughs> but okay, okay, yeah. but but what and about there, there are creatures that have died out over the years, not because of something we did, which we should take responsible for the ones that we are causing, whether it's through hunting or whatever. But no, but they evolved being... to to adapt a diet that they can only absorb like four percent of their nutrition from what they eat exclusively is bamboo. So they literally have to eat all the time. They can't even hibernate because they have to keep eating because what they eat is not right for them. So. Are we doing? just as much damage by trying to keep a species alive that is no i don't know you meant to i don't know if that's <laughs> okay, the right word so, but you so know that's a good question but, okay but to respond to that there's a difference between <laughs> looking for dogs to hit coming up to a situation where you have to hit a dog and then coming up to a situation where you see dead dogs everywhere and everyone driving cars and nobody asking where the hell this stuff came from the problem is no, well, there Jeff's are point, species though, is that I, but it's not wait, the cars wait, wait hold on hold on fault. my point is yeah because there are situations where species are dying out and they're dying out because they have not adapted to the world that we have shaped so intricately. Um, we could step back and just say, well, this species just is not keeping up with the times, right? <laughs> they're not evolving quick enough. Species have died for billions, millions of years and that's demonstrable. So let's just let this kind of die out. When in reality, if we did a little bit of digging, we might find that we were the cause like bees, for instance, people thought, Oh, well, it's not the bees are dying out, but we just can't really figure out why. And we could just stop right there and say it's not human caused. Maybe this is just the way of the world. But when we dug a little bit, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure it's because of certain pesticides or other things that we're doing. And so like, yeah, so, and, and, and that's the, that highlights the interconnectedness of things. Is that? But I'm not saying I'm not saying that we take that responsibility. I'm not saying the pandas are dying and we should just let them do it. I'm saying we should do our due diligence. But I'm also saying it's not inconceivable that some species are just going to die regardless of what we can do. And it, even if we look at over time when species die out, maybe it's another species that was more dominant that came about. Yeah, you're My right. My problem so is that you're right, and the human being is so dominant, not just the dominant species, but so dominant that the existence of Almost every other animal on our planet now depends upon our actions. And so, so, so and, whatever and world I'd... we decide to create is going to destroy species. And should we be like, shouldn't we take the extra effort to not be the species to end all species? Like, <laughs> it just seems well, right. kind of like. But I think pandas are a really good example because it is because of their diet and they don't like to have sex. Like you have to force them and they can't procreate. So like they really, okay, I love that I can go to a zoo in San Diego and see a panda. I love watching panda videos on the internet, like where the baby panda sneezes and it scares the mom. <laughs> but here's the thing. When you spend millions of dollars trying to protect a species from going extinct, but there are horrific tragedies happening in the world and people dying of starvation, it's really hard for me and I say this as like a total nature-loving hippie to say, well, that money is well spent. Well, Do you know what I mean? Let, let, let me help you out because we had this exact same help conversation about NASA and I helped you out there. So here we go. When you have a company come into an area and deforest an entire area that, that pandas had depended upon for bamboo and they, they send this species into um, – almost into an endangered zone, but they're making millions of dollars off of what they're doing. They should be responsible for paying for the protection of that species. Right? Like, yeah, you're well, right. Deforestation it takes a is lot its of own. It takes, that's its own thing. To, uh -huh. we'll talk, it's not just topic, its own thing. Right? Like there are people who are responsible for the actions that destroy the, for instance, in California, they're trying to put in tunnels that are going to destroy miles and miles and miles of wetland. And 
ruin the habitation of 200 species of birds. This is happening like around the corner from where I live. And it's like, well, you could just say, you know, <laughs> like that, that, that money that we could use to protect those animals is better spent somewhere else. But it's like, there are corporate interests that are trying to get these tunnels put in to keep their level of, of um, how much water costs equal in the future to keep it stable. That's their only goal is profit. And they're pressuring the government to do this. And it's like, the entities, the human entities that are making money off of things that destroy species should have the responsibility to replenish that. So it's 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 not like there's all these resources we're wasting on these animals. It's that there's people who are making all of this money and all of these resources off of the stuff that's around these animals the, the, or off the animals themselves. I don't know if that well, makes sense. I think that. But- it makes sense. And I think that this is, this is kind of the highlight of our conversation. Like to ask the question, what's a meaningful response to environmental issues? To even ask that question hints that there's some kind of internal struggle. Like I really want to know what to do the right thing is because there's so much information out there. And like we talked about in the beginning, it, it can feel helpless. Like who did this? What did we do? So I think for us, maybe a good way to kind of guide the rest of this conversation is, is for us to answer like what meaningful responses are we trying to do in our daily lives and then what do what is our struggle in this issue like what do we struggle with when we consider what we do and how we do it so you're saying ignore like the so we, we've talked about the the boundaries right like the faith that says the world's gonna die anyway let's just let it go and on the other side you could say it's really good for the earth for humans to start eating themselves right like if, if the human species just started becoming cannibalistic and ate other humans it would actually help our Whoa. planet no i i'm just saying that that is the furthest end of the other spectrum is no regard for human life the destruction of our humanity we could actually help the planet ecologically if we just like cold human numbers down but nobody would ever argue for that so there has well, to be people something, have right? argued for population declines actually really um oh yeah like i think that was in the 70s that was a huh. big thing and like when but when, not cannibalism um, right <laughs> No. Okay. No, so no, there no. has to keep be going somewhere. back to cannibalism. Because, <laughs> I don't know. We really like talking about cannibalism. No. What? Here, here. Let me ask you a question, though. How vital to life do you think toilet paper is? I, I couldn't live without. I don't know it. if I'm the right person to answer. <laughs> On a scale of one to ten, like how vital to your life is nine. toilet paper? I would say a nine. Also, I would say eleven. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so yeah. Alan, you were mentioning deforestation, corporate yeah. greed, and those people should be responsible. Okay, but listen, corporations can be nasty pieces of crap. Haha, <laughs> no pun intended. But when global toilet paper use consumes 27,000 trees a day, that those companies are responding to demand. Like, we demand that that be available for us to purchase and use in our bums. Therefore deforestation happens you know like it's not this is not just an isolated group of people who are responsible for killing pandas it's all of us so you're saying personal choice impacts the wider world so if we chose to use less toilet paper than we currently do we could save some trees and slow the process of deforestation well, yeah, we could actually. That's true, and that's just toilet paper. So okay, okay so so there's other kind of paper. There's a good, meaningful thing that we can do to use less has a wider impact on demand for companies to. And if everybody kind of gets on board with this, it would have a bigger impact. That is a meaningful day to day response. That is. That's among. I mean, but just think about that multiplied by all the waste that we put out in our lives. You know, like I th- I throw paper away. I don't even think twice about it. Um, well, I think that's part of the problem is that we're trying. Just like we talked about this idea, we keep going back to this analogy of the dog and the kid, but 
one of our conclusions from that was that life was interconnected. And if life is interconnected, then we can't assume that problems aren't. So if we're going to solve something, it can't be here's this one demon that we need to slay and everything's going to be fine. We are all con- interconnected in how that problem has started. And in- until we realize that, maybe we can't even begin to tackle any major problems until we first realize our part and then figure out how we can help fix the other parts. Yeah, but I think we, yeah, and collectively we really need a, a large change in thinking, though, about Yeah, but, but if it's worth doing, if, if, if the environment is worth saving and the ecology is worth thinking about and doing as individuals, then it's worth doing at least a little bit. Even if we can't be perfect. So, Absolutely. So That's exactly saying, what I'm saying. Save some toilet paper. My big hammer that I can drop on this question, and I feel like it's the answer that shouldn't even exist, but it does, is that the most pollution in the world, at least in um, greenhouse gases, and the biggest polluter of our water sources is animal agriculture. So if we eat less, literally, if we eat less meat as individuals, we save water, fossil fuels, and we prevent greenhouse gases more than any other decision that we can make i feel like that's the biggest thing just eating a little bit less meat would make the biggest difference on an individual scale and i can explain why but it's going to get super preachy. tell us tell us why <laughs> tell you why okay the, i must know the, the un studied and discovered that animal agriculture raising animals to eat was responsible for more greenhouse gas emissions than all the transportation in the world all of the planes, the boats, everything you can add together, they do not pollute our world as much as us eating meat and needing animals to make food. So so eating meat causes greenhouse gas emissions. It also requires 11 calories of fossil fuels per one calorie of protein from like chickens, fish, pigs, and cows. So every time you eat meat, you're actually burning fossil fuels. You're You're... You are a part of the whole that that uses those fuels to make that meat. Um, so you're talking about like the for the entire lifespan of the animals' care. Yeah, for the entire lifespan of the animals' care, the transportation of the of the different stuff, like all of it together. Um, the wow. I think it was the EPA who said that the USDA. The USDA said it takes 11 calories of fossil fuels to produce one calorie of protein. So so there's greenhouse gas, fossil fuels. The EPA, the Environmental Protection Protection Agency, confirmed that uh, confined animal feeding operations, like where you have like those big um, dairy things and other animals, big plantations of pigs and stuff, they account for more water pollution than all other industries together. Fracking, wow. like everything you can imagine, more water pollution happens because of the animals that that we raise to eat. And then uh, in, nearly half. And you're talking specifically of in major like corporate industrial. Yes. Yeah. Big, okay. big agribusiness. Yeah. Um, nearly half of all the water in the U.S. goes to raising animals. Half of all water. That's nuts. Some, some people have claimed um, and some people argue about this, but it, it still stands that not eating a pound of meat saves the same amount of water as if you didn't shower daily. For six months, if you didn't shower at all, for one pound for of one meat? pound of meat, you would save Whoa. six months of showers. That's mind blowing. Well, well, because a cow a cow drinks water its whole life, right? But even even like if you had a neighbor next door that that caring for that animal is still using a lot of resources. Sure, like even if it's completely locally sourced, mm-hmm. right? What one pound of meat requires two thousand four hundred gallons of water to to be raised to maturity. One pound of vegetables 
is 25 gallons. So you're, you're looking at like an unbelievable amount. This is kind of funny. So like I've, I've been overweight, right? And I've had a lot of things on my conscience about using more than I should be allotted. I look at the world. I look at like how much of this world I should take and use. And I've always felt like I've, you know, I'm, I'm eating more calories than I need. And I'm eating more calories than, than I probably should take. But I didn't realize my calories cost more than other calories. Like when you choose to eat meat, it's not just the calories that you're eating that you're consuming from the whole. It's that my calories cost like thousands of times more to create than the calories other people are eating. So the water cost, like every time I choose to eat meat, I'm using more, way more water than my neighbors who eat less meat do. And I never even realized that I'm using more fossil fuels and I'm polluting the earth more. And like, we don't even realize that because it's such a big part of our lives. And it's such like a unquestionable thing that it's largely invisible and unseen. But if that's the biggest factor, like we have to start talking about that to say that you care about the environment, but you don't try to eat less meat is like for a lot of people, they've they've begun to say that that's hypocrisy. It's hypocritical to to think that way. Well, maybe. Yes. Because it's the biggest problem. I I think. I agree with you, but there's also uh, – I just listened to uh, – we were talking about this off air, but I listened to a podcast that kind of is talking about all the things that you're talking about. And I think that there's a lot of things and reform that needs to be done in that major industry. But there's you know, there's a spectrum like you eat less meat or less, less meat or no meat or just knowing where your meat come from because regardless mm-hmm. of whether – like you're talking about the just to use the idea of water consumption. Water consumption for one pound of meat is how many gallons did you say? Two thousand four hundred. Two thousand four hundred. So that's six months worth of showers, mm-hmm. depending upon <laughs> depending upon how long your shower is, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, or like buying anything made out of cotton. Like cotton, it takes a ton of water and more almonds. than almost any other crop. Well, well, yeah. well. No, there. No, no, no. I, I wait, think, wait. Well, hold on. on. Let me, let me finish this point. Let me finish this point. I have to respond let to that before this you point before I because we can't get away from it. Cotton and almonds return water to the water table clean. Animals do not. When animals use water, it's polluted. So that's totally. So different. we're just trying to wrap our we're trying to wrap our minds before we're calling for any ethical action. We're just trying to wrap our minds around our impact because yes. a lot of us just don't know what our impact is. Okay, Jeff, in the so, world. Sorry, to... as we as we eat a pound of meat. Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> Damn. Um. I don't know. <laughs> I lost. It. I was. I was. Uh, that's why I was trying to. <laughs> Freaking crap. Okay. Well, here we go. Oh, so so this idea of like. That's a good statistic, and that's being aware. But I think that it's also true how much more water. And and I don't mean this as a as a way to say to discount everything you're doing. I'm saying it as a as a way to make sure that we don't take a snapshot of any one issue and like allow it to stop us from further investigating the issue. I want to clarify that before I move on. But if you keep that cow alive longer, then it's taking up more water. And I, and I know that we can talk about dairy industry mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So, so, so what I'm saying is... Are you advocating veal? Is that... No. No. <laughs> what I'm advocating is, I think sometimes... And, and Alan, I'm not saying that you're doing this. So, I, again, I want to address that. Okay. But what we do sometimes is we get we get on this issue and say, here's the solution, which I don't think any of us would disagree that there needs there's a problem with the meat industry. But I think that... Sometimes you can you can be so passionate and so careful about an issue that you're this, you know, uh, you you restrain yourself from every way and 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 communicate it in such a way that says that if you don't do if you're not all in then you're not in and all and you might as well not like that whole hot and cold analogy yeah, that and, we probably and all grew I up don't with think I'm doing that because I started out no, this conversation I, and, with GK exactly that, I, yeah I, I know I said that I clarified <laughs> that before I started what do you that, mean that's about the cow living saying. longer would use more water. 
because it would be drinking water. So, I'm, but uh, what is but that? What I'm, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I don't want to get caught up on the issue. I'm just using that as a small example of. I I agree with what you're saying, and I think that everything you're saying is important and should influence us to be more careful about how much meat we consume, and then also where it's coming from. But not to. I think we. I think we as a society assume too much on how people should respond, as opposed to like here's the issue and figure out how you need to respond. So so that. But th- these are real. So for me, this approaches. There is no single answer. There is no single moral answer for every single human being on the planet. Everybody's different. But this approaches that single answer for me. This approaches the most important thing you can do in the ecology conversation. And and the the thing about dairy cows, dairy cows drinking water, um, they impregnate dairy cows every year because they want them to lactate more. And usually. The bond between a dairy cow and its child is so strong, and the child um, drinks milk, they wouldn't have as many babies or have as much milk as that, that they're producing, right? So artificially inseminating the cow, taking their baby away from them immediately so that they all the milk can be used by humans, and then like putting them through a process where they're milked by machines, and then when they're when they're done, they're killed in a certain way. I, I could go on, and I'll probably do... We'll probably talk about animal rights on the side as a bonus episode or maybe in the future. But all all that to say, we are artificially pushing certain species like animals, uh, animals like cows and pigs to the point where they're producing more milk than their young could ever drink. Right. Uh, Pigs. We are we are treating animals in certain ways that put a burden on the rest of the world. And so, like, these are kind of clear cut issues as much as clear cut issues could exist. So for me, but there's no clear cut response. There is a clear cut like, response. The demand has to be less for meat. right now. We put meat in absolutely everything. We eat it all the time. And as long as that demand is there, someone is going to put up a factory farm somewhere um, and, and farm that way. And I, true. No, what I mean by individual response, not like overall response. You're right. There is a clear cut. Like we need to reduce this. Just like what we talked about toilet paper, you know, mm-hmm. use one square instead of two. I don't know, whatever, whatever your <laughs> ritual is with that. But what I'm saying is you're right. But when it comes to imposing individual responses, like you're choosing a path that is uh, vegetarian and you're really mindful of that. And I think yeah. that's important. And honestly, it inspires me to make sure that I'm decreasing a certain amount in my meat consumption and then being more aware of where my meat is coming from. But I'm not prepared to make that next leap into saying I'm just going to cut meat out. Yeah, that's because we haven't had the full (laughs) conversation. Well, even if you you say one day a week I'm not going to eat meat or two days a week, meatless that still has a huge impact. So so we we kill – can you guys guess how many animals are killed every year for food if you thought about it in, in the world? 56 billion animals are killed every year to feed us. And that's not including like dairy cows or hen laying chickens or stuff that are still producing stuff for us. That's just counting animals that are killed for us. 56 billion. Globally? Globally, yeah. And that's there's a huge disproportion there, right? Because in some places they might not eat meat except for a couple of times a year. Oh, oh yeah. So it's concentrated in certain places on our planet. In certain yeah. places. Yeah, but I absolutely. think we should go back to talking about cultures of excess in general. Because the whole conversation about environmental sustainability is about is about consumption. It's about it really is. Like and you're right, the the production will will rise or or wane wax or wane to meet consumption and demand. So um like so for and and this goes into like even the ways that we farm. A lot of people don't know this, but one of the bigger um a, a pretty significant uh, issue in climate change and oxygen 
production is nitrogen that we use in fertilizer. So we, every year we uh, convert about 120 million tons of nitrogen for the atmosphere into um, forms of like nitrates that can be used in fertilizer. So you cannot grow food without fertilizer, without nitrogen. Sorry. You can't, you can't grow without fertilizer, but like the big plump vegetables that you see in your store, they don't grow without gobs of nitrogen. Um, and some places in the world have more nitrogen than others. And it's really interesting because in some places in the world, they might have really fertile farmland, but because they can't access fertilizer or nitrogen-based fertilizer, the farm, the, um, the land basically is fallow and it doesn't produce. Here, what we do is we dump an extraordinary amount of um, fertilizer on our plants, the excess of that fertilizer, the, the excess nitrogen runs off into our oceans, like gets in the groundwater, runs in the oceans and kills phytoplankton, which produces oxygen. So this stuff is like, and then the oxygen is like affects our air quality and it affects all, all kinds of things, right? If we don't have oxygen in our air, like we all, like a whole, all of life suffers. So it's like crazy how interconnected this stuff is, but that the culture of excess of like using way more than we need when other places have nitrogen deficiencies is really interesting. And that like that could actually caught like in a lot of places in the world, just getting proper nitrogen to those areas and in, in fertilizer forms could actually solve starvation issues and actually allow people to produce. Like it's not a one-stop solution. It's more complicated than that, the way markets work and everything. But, um, that's, that's why we need to educate ourselves on what this means. And like, but, but at a basic level, our culture is of excess and not caring what kind of runoff or what our excess is doing is highly problematic. So I, I, I don't farm, right? I don't, I, I'm a voter and I guess I have a co-host a podcast. So there are certain things I can do. The reason I became Jeff brought up that I was a vegetarian. I'm trying it out this year. The reason I became a vegetarian was I had read a fictional book, blah blah blah. It's about this future dystopia by Margaret Atwood, The Year of the Flood. And there's these people who eat mystery burgers, which they don't know what meat is in it. The corporation just decides they're for today we're going to put this type of meat in this burger, and it's kind of you know fun. You're going to eat it. You don't know what you're eating, and it was like horrifying to me. But then I looked at my own life, and I realized that's basically what I do. Whenever I eat out at a fast food place, I'm just taking something that. I have no idea what's really in it and, and eating it, right? And so the, the we day trust before the, FDA. the the day <laughs> really <laughs> Okay. The day yeah, to I, a degree. We trust right? corporations who are sometimes audited by the FDA to help us get the right food. But we're trusting corporations on a large scale to deal with all these animals in our lives that we eat every day. All I'm trying to point out is your your point about excess really hits home for me because the reason I became a vegetarian the day before I did, I had a breakfast that had um, pig, cow, chicken, eggs from a different chicken and milk from a different dairy cow all in one tiny little meal. And so like I, I ate that without ever thinking about it kind of my whole life, where this stuff came from, what was in it. Talk about excess. Like I'm, I'm eating multiple different animals for every single meal and consuming resources that are invisible to me. It looks like a small breakfast, but really the resources that got poured into creating that breakfast are completely hidden. And so the reason I'm trying out vegetarianism is because you're right. It is maybe an easier answer than just eating less meat or kind of knowing where my food come from comes from. But for me, I'm doing it for ethical reasons that we won't get into here because that's not necessarily ecology. That's more like moral and philosophical and, and religious reasons why I do that. But just the excess of it, like you avoid that when you do eat vegetables, when you do eat um, plant based food and nuts and, and grains and stuff, you are putting a serious dent 
in your consumption and excess in a, in, in this society that is an ungodly consumption and excess built upon money that makes money for people that do injustice at an even bigger level. So yeah, extricating yourself, you can, you can extricate yourself from that entire process by just choosing not to eat meat for sure. So that's, that's why I do it. And I'm not telling other people that they have to do it, but it's hard in this conversation to take people seriously. When they talk about fossil fuels, you look at the UN and everyone's talking about fossil fuels. They're going to lower it and do this, but they don't say anything about agribusiness. Like in our society, it doesn't say anything about agribusiness because you don't want to upset certain people. Like the oil industry is gross, right? We all know that. Everyone's like, oh, the oil industry is just trying to do this, try to do that. We subsidize both industries, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. The government gives them money to, to prop up something that's unsustainable. But I, I just think the future, I'm looking at the future of humanity and where we're headed. Um, you lose, you, you only get like what, 9% of the nutrients back. Like it takes so many calories to go into one calorie of meat, all the food it eats, right? The vegetables or the whatever it's eating. And we have people in the world that are starving and like the future of humanity is probably vegetarian. If we're going to have a sustainable humanity in the future with like billions and billions and billions of more people, we're going to have to move in that direction. And so I'm looking at it from the point of social justice too and thinking like we need to have a sustainable world for humans and that's not the whole picture, but that's a big part of it. So it's it's a pretty big issue. Um, it's the, the biggest. Oceans are dying yeah. too. I mean, there's a lot of issues though. There's a lot of issues. The oceans are dying. Like I think we've lost like half of the fish in the ocean by this point. Yes, half fifty percent. And the ocean mm-hmm. actually absorbs the carbon dioxide that we produce. So the acidity of the oceans has risen by gobs and is expecting to like go to almost 150 percent by 2100 so it basically like dissolves the smallest sea creatures which has a, a giant like chain effect in the ocean's ecosystems ecological structures which means that people can't eat fish like that's another huge food source for billions of people um like we, I don't know, man, we're going to run out of food. You guys, this is yeah, just, well, and it's speaking bleak. of running out of something, we're probably running a little bit low on our time. Okay. So let's go back to meaning. Our... Okay. What, what can we meaningfully do? Reduce waste and excess, be mindful of what we consume, eat put less pressure meat. on people who eat less meat. Yep. Put pressure on people who make decisions to be more educated about these issues. Um, support people who are doing good farming practices and not be mindful of your consumption of anything of anything yeah um and it goes a lot i know i just i know a lot of people who are like oh we recycle we care about the environment that's we've done it you know that's it but um actually like read up on recycling and how much it does it does not do you know for the for the environment it doesn't it doesn't have as big of an impact as you think it does like not eating meat I, i i must say being mindful is hard I, I think just saying being mindful has never really worked for me. The entry point for me into mindfulness about what I consume was being grateful. And we talked about having an episode on gratefulness in the future. We should do but, it. But if, yeah. if you're grateful for the food you're eating, you're definitely be more mindful of it. And so just being grateful for the things that you consume in your, in your world, it's impossible to get away from consumption to live. You have to have calories in, you have to have oxygen in, you have all these things, but be mindful of what you can be grateful of what you consume. And the mindfulness will follow. 
But don't you think gratefulness doesn't require you to change anything? Yeah. It's just like, oh, it's just the so, beginning. my heart is full and brimming with all of very this true. gratitude. There are people who have heard that. That's very true. <laughs> but I, I feel like it's a good, if you want to be more mindful and you want to change your actions, gratefulness is a good place to start. It definitely is only a starting block. It doesn't go anywhere if you don't do anything with it. Yeah. Man, compost and grow your own food too, right? by the way. I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> You're trying. Well, let us let us know what you think in the show notes at irenacast.com slash 46. There you'll be able to comment on this particular episode and address any of the issues that we may have brought up. Also, you will be able to find informational links on some of the things that we discussed in this episode. On the other side of the music, we will be attributing different animals to your illustrious co-hosts. All right, so we're bringing back, I am not bringing back, this is kind of our default segment, what we call Noah Jamonin. So it's little insights Noah into Jamonin. the personalities of the hosts of this show. And Jamonin is our... We don't have any... Pers- it's our uh, self-indulgent narcissism. Yeah, exactly. And I say celebrity in huge quotes, bigger than my hands are able to. <laughs> <laughs> this is our celebrity name. We've meshed our names together into Jamonin. And, uh, can, I, can I say something last night? Because this is a true fact, right? That we've apparently been heard in 34 countries. Yes, we have. And um, 34 countries have heard us gab, <laughs> which is like mind-blowing. Uh, and I, I was kind of ruminating on this. And so I was like, you know, 34 countries. And they're like, oh my God, she's an internet celebrity. And I <laughs> turned bright red. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, like, it's really not true. <laughs> it's only true when you see people who listen to it and they're like, I've been listening to you every week. And it's like, whoa. Weird. It's kind of true. Well, that's too much responsibility. I like it. celebrity with Z list, not like D or E. <laughs> like we're Z, we're, we're way on the bottom. But uh, you know, it, it. I'm gonna try to get an IMDb page for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wow. think podcasts count. Maybe if we put a YouTube video up, you'd be able to. <laughs> Back in the day, we, we created a, a yeah, we created a Wikipedia page for our friend's mom and said some pretty bad things about her. But that was back a what? long time ago when I was younger. So why would you I was you like do 18 that? years old because uh, it, it was funny. You were 18? 18, not like 13? That was back yeah. when Wikipedia was not what it is now. I would never imagine Why were you mean to his doing mom? That. It, was, mom? it was up there for like maybe a week. We showed it to him. Nobody else in the world saw it, probably. But why would you do that? Because there's that one person who's like, oh, I'm going to get that lady. Ran across the article and it's now <laughs> fuming. It was it. obviously satire. I mean, like it's... You know better than anyone that obvious satire still goes over the oh, head. Oh man, I, I that almost ruined the blog that I was running that spawned that ironic cast came from an ironic on the blog I wrote for for like four or five years. I started doing satire and people were so angry. I mean, it was really bad. Let's officially do this. So Mona, you're going to start. I'm going to go for a beaver with Alan. I feel like he's a little bit wily. <laughs> you know, he's always like gnawing on stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Kind of cuddly. Kind of lovable. That's what I'm going Wow. What do you think? I do like trees. <laughs> it was very true. You like trees? Mm-hmm. Are you a good swimmer? I like damming up rivers and then letting them break and killing a, a bunch of other animals. No. Is this something people think about a lot? Like what animal people would be? I don't know. Yeah. I've had extensive conversations with my friends about what animal people are. Is this the what do you think, Jeff? equivalent of do you people like that beaver? look like their dogs? No, I, I wouldn't say beaver. That doesn't that doesn't fit 
my understanding. Because beavers are like solid. They're like in their little home all by themselves building their little stuff. That's not me. They have little families. Well, that extroverted a little bit. Uh, Maybe. The beavers on Chronicles of Darnia, when I watched it, they didn't act extroverted. See, I was just, I was just going to say, like, my, <laughs> my ideas are coming from caricature, caricatures of, like, cartoon of animals Of talking and beavers? Yeah. That's so, what I, you know what? I would go, I'm going to go with Owl for Owl. Hey, you know what's funny? That's the only thing I thought of when I, when you guys said that. I was like, what animal would I be? There is an embarrassing animal that I'm not going to even talk about um, that no, my college friends put pictures of my face on when I was You do college. need to say you it You have now. to tell us. But, you want to tell us. Aside, you wouldn't have brought it hey, up otherwise. The, the owl thing. I thought of owl. Jeff, that was the first thing that popped into my mind. And I was like, eh, maybe owl. But yeah. Okay, the embarrassing one is um, in high school, people in Sunday school used to start calling me Grumpy Gorilla because I would be grumpy <laughs> sometimes. And they'd, they'd say things and I'd get sad and they'd make fun of me. So they put pictures in college of a gorilla with my face photoshopped on it <laughs> and put it up on my wall. Can I call you grumpy gorilla? No, because it really impacted me 10 years. Of course you can. That's fine. <laughs> I don't really care. <laughs> I might get grumpy about it if I'm in a certain state of mind. But as a middle child, you can say grumpy or disaffected, whatever you want, you know, Emo? disempowered. Oh that's, my God. That's fine. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you can't be a beaver. I like owl. I like owl. Let's go with owl and let's just leave it at that. They're always That's going, nice. hoo hoo. I'm a middle child. Yeah. A screech owl. <laughs> you guys forgot about me. Grumpy <laughs> 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 girl. Okay. I'm sorry. Oh my goodness. All right, All right let's, let's let's go with uh Jeffrey. Who what would Jeff be? Jeff. Oh man. Talk about Wiley. <laughs> Jeff likes to cook. Jeff's not, I wouldn't describe uh, Jeff as Wiley. I wouldn't. Whenever we do this, whenever we look into Jeff's psychology as a family, because we do that for fun sometimes. We play like board games and stuff. Like therapy. We always end up saying Jeff's a horrible person for some reason. That's like always the yeah, end result. It always goes back to that. And I don't, you are a horrible person. I'm not going <laughs> to. Apparently, I'm the worst person in the world. I think of you as like a big papa bear, Jeff. Like, no. No? No way. No. Okay. At least on this show, you're always like crowling us. Is that your official answer? No, I'm just ruminating. Um, What's a pragmatic animal? That a practical animal? stuff. Pragmatic. Pragmatic. Maybe Jeff's the beaver. Oh, man. Yeah, maybe Jeff is the maybe beaver. Maybe Jeff's the beaver. I'd be okay with that. I think that's closer. But hmm. but I, I feel like beavers, like, do they, do they reject authority and like, you know, <laughs> have a toot about things? No, they're they're kind of like they're they're communal animals, right? Like they work together. Yeah, and... they work together. Um, they kind of have their own plan in mind. Okay, yeah, that could be that could be it. So, are you saying I'm a beaver too? Are you just defaulting beaver. to beaver? I think that's I think that's lazy. You're very productive. Let, let's think longer, and you can just cut out the silence. I have to think longer. I have to really think about this. Hmm, not panda bear. <laughs> that would be horrible, considering <laughs> how we just talked about everything. <laughs> uh... I would be mortally offended, and this would be the last I ran a cast. Jeff, Jeff is a crow. The podcast is your bamboo. Sorry, bro. What? Yeah, a crow? they're very smart. <laughs> okay, explain yourself, please. Yeah. A crow. You appreciated in in the Old Testament Balaam, who was just being opportunistic, just trying to take care of himself. Right? Why don't you talk like and this? No, Israel. I don't know what you're talking about. You said that. So, like crows, just do what they got. They're, they're practical animals, right? They do I think what they got to do. They do find what they got to do. 
to some degree. Find some dead stuff. Crows are like a literary sign of death and destruction. (laughs) Every time you see a crow in a movie, something bad's about to happen. That is true. You are the crow. I love The Office when uh, Dwight is asked his favorite movie and he like is walking away all angry and he's all, The Crow. <laughs> uh, I love that movie. Man. Anyway. I'm, is that bad? I don't like this game. Is I don't that like offensive? it at all. It's not offensive. I just wasn't, yeah. it wasn't funny. <laughs> it's not funny. I just <laughs> wasn't offended. I just wasn't funny. Okay. Maybe Jeff is a desert lizard. What? Okay. Explain bad? yourself again, please. I don't know. You're warm. You're warm. <laughs> I could see you like lizards are always like by themselves, sunbathing, doing push. You always got this like know. lizard Why grin. You assume that I'm always like by myself in this like You oh always got goodness. a lizard. You do okay. your own thing. You, gotta you, smirk. you flout the conventions of society when you don't think that they're appropriate. True or not? That's true. I would agree with that. What about a crocodile? Not a crocodile. That's horrible. Why? Okay, see, they have like a smirk wait, wait, wait. all the time. You, you don't like? I'd rather crow. be one of those like thieving monkeys that tourists <laughs> take photos of. Just <laughs> no. a thieving monkey, and <laughs> Alan is a grumpy gorilla. <laughs> I think I think we should go with crocodile for Jeff. Don't you? Because think? They, they just protect themselves. They have families and stuff. I think that that's actually you a got, really good. You love to you love Very to hang powerful. out like a log in water. And just wait there, yeah. <laughs> and pull people under until they drown, and then <laughs> your eyes are always twitchy. <laughs> uh, Man, all right, Mona, it's your turn. What's 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 I Mona's animal going to be? I was going to go super nice. Now I'm, I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to <laughs> an antelope is what I would say. An antelope because <laughs> I'm hard headed. <laughs> I just imagine Mona bounding through the wilderness, kind of like. Free spirited, but scared at the same time. (laughs) 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 I'm sorry. You know what? I shouldn't be doing this. This is that's the problem. I'll take an antelope. Sure, that means I'm hunted. What? What? What do you think, Jeff? I'm gonna calm down first so that I don't say something. I am so sorry. No, I want to know. What were you gonna say? Because then I could have. Come on. No, I wasn't gonna say anything. I was just joking. (laughs) For some, for some reason, like the first image that came to my mind was a squirrel. I've been compared to a squirrel a lot. Just that's, in the sense that like, good. not just any squirrel, but like a squirrel in like a city park. Like you're around Way all this stuff squirrel. you can't sit still. You've got to move like over here and over but there and like, <laughs> just like this constant like go, go, go kind of I really thing. love nuts. Well, I wasn't going to um, go there, but you know. What were you thinking about? <laughs> I'm talking about like peanuts and almonds. Those are legumes. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you should appreciate that when I tried to think of an animal for you, I couldn't think of anything. I just can't. But when I think of, of Mona, I think of animals right away for some reason. Is that, is that weird? Because I'm a beast. But we've just established that animals are an important part of the ecosystem. So basically, you, you can't think of how I would fit into this world. That's, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Man, I either, either, you have a horrible perception of reality, or I really am self-unaware in so many ways. I tried to make you a papa bear, and that idea was rejected, okay? That's a kindly yeah, image. Not by me. Bear. I didn't say you anything. I don't see him as a papa Just bear. Just like a papa bear would. No, Alan. Alan, you guys you guys know each other a lot better. Like, because like, the three of us have lived like physically apart for a really like a decade, right? But you guys have spent a lot more time together than like I spent with you. So I feel like you could have a better image. Jeff defies Jeff. all categories. It's really hard to put an like a panther, None like of those a sound snow good. leopard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like a snow leopard. Jeff is definitely some sort of feline. I think you're on the right track right now. There we go. A lion? Mm, not a lion. Uh, 
A giant squid. A jaguar or something. You say giant squid? (laughs) (laughs) So Jeff has been a raven, a crocodile, (laughs) a uh, giant squid. I I do like snow leopard. I think giant squids are hard to pin down, just like Jeff. I don't know enough about snow leopards to be offended. They're the most elusive creatures. Why, why do you have to be offended? They're, they're because so far, of, you're, you're have a pretty good track record. to encapsulate your, your presence in the form of an animal. I, you know I what? So. Maybe, maybe giant squid is good. Giant squid or, or um, snow leopard, one of those two. Snow leopard are too, okay, well, are what, too solitary. What does a snow leopard do? Like, Give me a picture. Like, Why a snow leopard? Oh, because they like blend into the environment when they need to. Okay. I can well. see that. Is that I mean, the so They're photographic, photogenic. <laughs> Whoa! I, you don't have to make the jump to sociopath. My goodness. Uh, I think blending into the environment is not that. That was look. I think we should quit while we're. They're ahead fast. With this game. Hold on, hold on. They're fast. They're fast. They're very fast. They're fast they like and they're the majestic. Cold. They eat things. Right. Yeah. They're arresting when you see them. Like Jeff's presence is arresting in a room, and everybody. I think a tricky. Tourist monkey is better though, because Jeff, like you know, no, Jeff's not a tricky. That's what he wants to be. I feel like that's you know, monkeys are too close to human beings. We share like ninety five percent DNA. I was just throwing something out there because that's the last thing I saw on YouTube. (laughs) Jeff is a sneezing panda bear. I don't know. This game is deteriorating quickly. It is. It's it's become. I'm sorry. It was my idea to play this game, and I'm proud. I'm still proud of it. Next time we'll do which car would you be if you were a car. I like these kinds of games if you can't tell. No, because I'm going to be like a like a Hummer or something, like, <laughs> like a tank or something that like kills people. You're going to be a fiesta. Fictional characters, I'd be Dexter, some serial killer no, psychopath. No, 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 Jeff. Jeff, you're not a horrible oh, person. You're going to give him a complex. No, you can't give me any more complexes. You have a million have. complexes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, let's, let's call uh, it. <laughs> yeah, we're. this is too much of Noah and Jamonin, I think. Yeah. Yep. I think so. All right. So that'll do it for us this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You can support the show by rating and reviewing on whatever platform you listen to the show, preferably iTunes or Stitcher. And now, if you see a link of a book on our show notes, if you click on that and purchase it from Amazon, it gives us a little bit to kind of cover our costs. So that's another way you can support the show. And uh, yeah, I think that'll be doing it. So that'll be doing it. Don't cut that out, please. (laughs) That'll be doing it. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. That'll be doing it. So we we done finished this week. And don't uh, start doing that. <laughs> don't make fun of people who have different speech patterns than you. How dare you? How done dare you? How dare you? I'm still fresh <laughs> off of the southern dinner, y'all. That bourbon's still kicking. <laughs> That'll be doing it. So for this week, <laughs> I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. And I'm Alan. Thanks for joining the conversation. You two are horrible. <laughs> I said he loves me. <laughs> anyway. All right. Has everyone stopped their recording? Uh, no. <laughs>